so virtual selling, like you said, people were taking clients out to dinner, you come out for a, a full day presentation, you go to lunch, um, that's all gone away. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, we can't abandon the small talk, the building a relationship. So you need to build time into customer presentations, into um, investing in the relationship and just have that small talk. And um, we talk about doing small things like, oh, you know, you're in the basement or, or you have a fireplace there, just something mm -hmm. to be able to have that communication. And then um, I have stuff around me. I, I always get on and say, hey, I actually have a dog here. I'm sure you just heard it a couple of minutes ago. It, it sort of makes you, makes you a human, makes you relatable. Um, and that is still a key aspect. And um, whether it's online or in person, people mm -hmm. buy from people they like, people make an emotional decision when they're making a purchase or, or buying criteria, and then they justify it rationally. Hi, I'm Manya, the host of Your Greatest Work podcast. This is a show for course creators and thought leaders who are creating a learning experience for their audience. I'm going to help you in this podcast by bringing on guest speakers and having great discussions with people from around the world on how to create really amazing learning experiences that get great results for learners. That's what we're here for, right, folks? Well, enjoy this next episode. Hi, and uh, thanks for joining me today, Josh. It's super nice to meet you, although we just met officially about 10 minutes ago. Um, I hope that everyone enjoys listening to this episode because it is all about practice and um, deliberately practicing skills. Um, Josh works for an interesting institute. It's called the Shapiro Negotiation Institute, where they offer negotiation, sales, and influence training, amongst other services. But that's what we're going to talk about today, um, as well as some of the new things that we're experiencing with regards to virtual learning and especially virtual selling and what that feels like and what that means like. So, um, Josh, thanks for being here. Um, we met through the Global learning and development group, which is such a cool place for learners to be able to meet up. And we'll link to that perhaps if people would like to find a like-minded community. But um, yeah, thanks, Josh. Um, could you introduce yourself for the audience and let everybody know what you're all about and how you got into learning? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so Josh Jenkins here. Um, I'm the Senior Director of Business Development and Training at the Shapiro Negotiations Institute. Um, I've been there for a little over two years now. I'm also in the process of getting my master's um, from George Mason University in instructional design um, and technologies with an e-learning certificate. I should yeah, wrap congrats. that. That's a big, uh, a big accomplishment. It's hard to take a step away from work and, and focus on those kind of big credentials. So that's awesome, Josh. Way to go. Thank you. It's been nice. There's been definitely stuff from um, my nine to five that I can discuss um, with my colleagues that are going through or my peers that are going through the program together and vice versa. So um, it's nice that they're sort of on a parallel path, but there is a lot of um, connective tissues that are, that are keeping the two the same. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. It's also great to be able to um, have the real, you know, realistic perspective when you're going into a program like that, I think it makes the learning so much more relevant, um, you know, than if it was all theoretical. So yeah, congrats on that. So tell us a bit more about um, how you got into learning in the first place. What kind of made you interested in, in pursuing this as a career? 
Yeah, great question. Uh, so uh, when I, I graduated from my undergrad with a degree in sport management, I played golf in college. And then once I graduated, I was like, what am I going to do with this piece of paper? I don't really want to play golf professionally or anything like that. What should I be doing? Um, and AT&T had a sales leadership development program that was sort of a six-month intensive training program um, where they'd pay us. They put us up um, down in Atlanta. And that really taught me sort of the technical aspects that at at and that I needed to know, but also how to be a seller, how to communicate, sort of how business worked. Mm-hmm. That was really my first foray into corporate training. And I, there were some aspects of that I really liked, um, some that I didn't like so much. And I just sort of kept making a mental note as I progressed in my professional career about um, trainings that I connected to, trainings that I didn't. Um, and I love the idea that you can make a positive impact with somebody. I mean, that light bulb goes off when they get it, when you see the progression. Um, that was all stuff that really initially drew me to uh, maybe instructional design, training, facilitating, something along that nature would be in my future. Yeah, that's really cool. I love hearing about how people get into this industry because I think we all come in many different ways from many different industries and backgrounds. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. And then you really are taking it a next step and becoming, um, you know, certified and credentialized, if that's even a word. But how is that affecting you in your role um, at work? Obviously, you are um, in a business development role, but are you also part of facilitation or development? Do you weigh in on that as well? Or are you strictly finding new, um, new partners? So, um, since the sort of discovery process and understanding what a client and customer needs, um, is very paramount to my role in being able to sell our services and products, I'm intimately involved in the content creation. Um, so what the program is going to look like, what are the learning points, learning activities, what are sort of the connected tissues that are necessary to tie that back into their individual roles. Um, at Shapiro, we do something that's fairly unique. Um, we do a lot of skill isolating exercises, experiential learning that takes them out of their common role. Um, mm-hmm. So they focus on the skill rather than the scenario. So it's very important to sort of be able to customize it. And then once they've done this wacky sort of exercise where they realize, hey, don't ask good enough questions or um, I didn't prepare properly, we need to really be right there to tie that back into their role so it actually sticks and they can see how they would use that. So um, my role does do a lot of the content creation as far as putting the programming and the curriculum together for each client's needs. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. So I, I like that we can talk really specifically about learning activities. I think one of the things that we as learning professionals do or aim to do is to create opportunities where people can practice skills development, where we can see really strong behavior change. So what are some of your favorite go-to activities when it comes to um, getting people to deliberately practice a skill? So let's say negotiation, for example, what, what are some of the real practical activities that you build in? Yeah, so I'll sort of answer that in two parts. Um, negotiation um, typically is viewed as sort of a singular event. You know, you've got two people, you want something, I want something at the end, there's some sort of haggling. Um, but we're negotiating or influencing, which is sort of negotiation, so younger brother, um, pretty much in anything we do. You can do it with a colleague at work, internally, externally, family member. Um, so we break down negotiation into some sort of key steps that are go along the way. We talk about preparation, we talk about probing. Um, but when we do a training right now, we will deliver it since everything's virtual, it'll be mm-hmm. 60 to 90 minutes and we'll give them some sort of homework, something that they'll need to do. So one thing that we commonly discuss is let's start with points of agreement. If you and I are hassling over it, what are the things we can agree on before we sort of talk about the um, points of contention or where we differ? 
Um, so we'll challenge people between the sessions to say, hey, have that conversation with someone that you're negotiating with and start with those points of agreement and just let us know what, what it looks like. How did that conversation play out? How did the negotiation play out when you do that? When we bring people back together with that second session, we have that conversation. How did it work? Did it work well? Did it not work well? And we can give some sort of live coaching. Um, okay. So that's sort of just the, the basis of sort of, hey, you at least need to try it. Um, and then the second thing we do a ton of is role playing. Okay. Um, we do either simulation based role play or we actually use some simulation software or live role playing. Um, we have individuals that are sort of doing that one on one hand to hand combat, which is where when, when you talk about someone practicing it, um, they don't come to the conclusion that they were supposed to or get the result they were supposed to. They can picture themselves next time they're in a negotiation preparing for one being in that position. Like, I don't want to have that again. I don't want to have a repeat of history where I did not get the deal done. So let me go ahead and actually make a change behavior based on that experience that I went through. Well, and the risks are high, right? If you're in a position where you are trying something, uh, you really want that deal and it falls through, you know, the risks are high for you there. So um, there is a lot of motivation, I'm sure, from the learner's perspective to be able to improve on these skills. Um, I love the idea of negotiation too. It's a topic that I've been reading a lot about and um, I, I try it with my kids. <laughs> So the, oh, I love that. And I think it's cool. Sorry. Um, sorry to speak over you for a second there, but I think it's cool how you mentioned that you take people out of the kind of workplace scenario when it comes to practicing the skill and you bring them into um, something different. I, I don't know if I said that right, but I like that. And I've done that before in learning. You know, if you want somebody to practice something, you might take them out of the workplace scenario where the stakes are really high and get them to try on something where it's a little less intimidating. What are your thoughts on that? I actually did a recording about that, um, a previous podcast episode where I said, uh, it's called learn to sew a pin cushion before a wedding dress. Um, you know, it's this top, this concept of do something where the stakes are not so high before you tackle this massive project. So yeah, what do you do? Yeah, so it's very similar to the Mr. Miyagi wax on, wax off. Um, you're sort of learning it outside of the the actual fighting arena or karate arena, whatever it may be, and then putting it into place. Um, we find that that allows people to actually focus on the skill um, rather than the scenario. Some people, I'm, Will Smith has a famous quote, the best way to build a perfect wall is to lay each brick individually one by one um, perfectly as opposed to saying, oh my gosh, I have to put together this entire wall. It can be I'm a bit overwhelming in the focus on the actual end goal as opposed to that specific skill that's necessary. Hmm. Um, so well, like I said, that if you take somebody out of this scenario that maybe their sort of typical role or job title would have them in, it allows them to focus on the actual skill. Um, but then it is pretty paramount to then sort of tie that back in and sort of, okay, now let's, let's play this out. How would this work in your role if you were doing this negotiation aspect or this sort of skill we just discovered on? What would that look like in your role? Because you need to be able to connect it back for them because um, sometimes that's the difficult piece. Oh, this is great if I'm trying to buy eggs at a supermarket, but I'm negotiating million dollars deals with software companies. What does that look like? Um, so that's the key aspect that sometimes gets missed when people do focus um, on a skill rather than a scenario. Yeah, I think that's a really great strategy that you mentioned there. And I'll, I will summarize it. Um, just to be able to take people away from the skill to isolate it, but then bring them back uh, and apply it to, you know, the, the, the real world situation. I see this also in music learning. I had some great musicians on here talking about how they teach skills. And one of the things is, yeah, you isolate that 
specific thing you want them to learn. You work on it on, you know, an easy song like Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And then you take that new skill and you plug it into whatever symphony you're working on. So I think that's another great analogy. All right, Josh, let's switch gears now and talk about this virtual world that we see ourselves in. Obviously, virtual learning is not new. I think there's been a lot more emphasis, obviously, on it as our portfolios are switching to, in some cases, 100% virtual. So talk to me a bit more about how you're adjusting or adapting your in-class learning to virtual. Are you using any interesting softwares or tools or strategies? Is there anything kind of creative that you feel like you've been incorporating? Yeah, so I, we're we're very fortunate um, in that virtual training is becoming more widely um, accepted. I think that there is sort of the technology burden um, that people weren't accustomed to Zoom or Microsoft Teams or Adobe Connect. Um, we've gotten past that hurdle. We can actually focus on the learning activities and the trainings. Um, another nice thing is that trainings could go anywhere from an hour, two hours, half day, full day, multi-day trainings before, but um, society has been pretty clear as far as our attention span is 30 to 90 minutes and really no more than 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you are going to create a training, you need to be able to chunk it up into 30 to 90 minute bites. Um, and so what was a full day training for us, um, eight hours with lunch and, and a couple breaks in a classroom is now four 75 minute sessions that's spaced out a week apart. Um, you have that introductory session. We do some sort of skill and activity. There's a, a tool or a habit that has been developed during that session. And then we give them that homework in between session. There needs to be some practical application that they need to try it out. Yeah. Um, see what it looks like and kick off that next session of, Hey, how did it work? Um, tell me more about that. Did it go well? Great. Tons of momentum for everybody else in the classroom or sort of virtually. If it didn't, okay, let's give you some live coaching. Um, which is a significant advantage that we have now that we didn't previously have as far as a classroom training. The classroom mm-hmm. training was sort of seen as a singular event. It was a car wash. We all left really excited, but a week later, we weren't really doing anything now. Um, what was a one-day training is spaced, across, spaced out across four weeks. Um, so it's a, a much greater opportunity for that repetition and retention rates to to increase. Yeah. Interestingly, there's aspects about virtual learning that are creating an environment where learning is sticking. It's um, it's potentially easier for people to access on the job and kind of start thinking about it in their job scenario and then kind of bringing that new mindset or that new thinking to the next class. So it is interesting how we're seeing um, some positive changes coming out of the, this virtual only learning. I mean, there's aspects of um, in class that I hope we do get back to. <laughs> Who knows? Um, that's That's not for us to decide right now, but what about virtual selling? Do you have any practical tips that you're seeing when it comes to the difference between selling in person and business development where you can take people for dinner and, uh, you know, meet up in a great boardroom? What What are you seeing that people have to do differently now with with virtual selling? And I know, again, we're kind of switching gears here, but... Yeah, I'm going to make one last point on um, sort of virtual training in that... Yeah. Um, the biggest thing that we're seeing um, that participants of our training are missing out on is sort of the collaboration, the conversation of just like whether it's at a break or afterwards when they're seeing each other in the office, where are you going to use this? How are you going to use this? How is this impacting you? Um, so we've actually been using um, a software. It's called Voice Voice. Where we actually just get individuals in groups of up to five 
um, sometime after the training back together and say, okay, this is one of the tools we discussed. How are you using it? What's it look like? And for them to then continue that collaboration because um, as much as they learn from ourselves um, as facilitators and trainers and the content, um, they learn significantly more we find from each other. Um, so yeah. we create that um, opportunity to foster that um, collaboration. Um, we like that smaller group because people get an opportunity to talk. When you have those large groups, okay, some people will see programs, okay, 15 minutes are left, um, facilitators are going to drop off, all 30 of you or all 20 of you chat, and nothing really gets accomplished. But you get those sort of smaller groups, they are able to have that um, good conversation of collaboration and application and build relationships because, I mean, we teach soft skills, so it's all about relationships. So that's been been right. huge for us. And thanks for sharing that technology. I think that's the cool thing. There's a lot of technologies available that are emerging literally every week at the moment where um, they're doing such a cool job of fostering this community and collaboration in small groups. There's one that I'm using right now and it's still in beta, but it's called Tandem. And uh, it's the same. You can have these one uh, kind of side conversations. You can um, have small group chats. People can listen in or kind of fade into the background. And yeah, there's a lot of cool tools right now. So um, Tandem is one kind of neat one that that I've been using with the community that I'm part of. Okay, so did you wanna switch over now and just kind of touch base on the virtual selling? I can come back to that that question now. Yeah, no, that, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, so virtual selling, um, like you said, people were taking clients out to dinner, you come out for a, a full day presentation, you go to lunch. Um, that's all gone away. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, we can't abandon the small talk, the building relationships. So you need to build time into customer presentations, into um, investing in the relationship and just have that small talk. And um, we talk about doing small things like, oh, you know, you're in the basement or, or you have a fireplace there, just something mm-hmm. um, to be able to have that communication. And then um, I have stuff around me. I, I always get on and say, hey, I actually have a dog here. I'm sure you just heard it a couple of minutes ago. But it, it sort of makes you it makes you a human, makes you relatable, um, and that is still a key aspect. And um, whether it's online or in person, people mm-hmm. buy from people they like. Um, people make an emotional decision when they're making a purchase or, or buying criteria, and then they justify it rationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody that drives a Porsche, and they drive a Porsche probably because how it makes them look and feel and things of that nature. But if you ask them why'd you drive the Porsche, oh, it's got a great safety rating, or I got a great deal on it. Um, so you need to make that emotional connection and then later in that conversation, supply um, the actual sort of logic um, or sort of reasoning for why your product would be superior. So um, the, the making sure you have the time to build that rapport and that connection is paramount and needs to actually be built into the sales process. Cool. So have you adjusted your programming to um, teach people um, specific skill set for selling virtually? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we have our own um, selling virtually program um, that takes a lot of stuff into personality, big five personality discs, sort of understanding who you're talking with, understanding mm. how to communicate, engage with them. Um, we're doing more stuff around assignment selling. Um, so assignment selling is that, okay, um, you have a shorter time with someone, you need to be able to communicate with them and, and build that rapport. But so you're going to send some stuff ahead of time, give them some pre-read, give them some uh, some homework for them to do to bring to the meeting. Uh, not only makes you more credible, builds your sort of um, re- reputation as far as a, a seller and, and a client that you actually bring some value to the table, but then you put the onus on them. So um, definitely a lot of stuff around assignment selling, a lot of stuff on how you facilitate action. Um, you get off of these conversations. I know when I get off a, a Zoom call or a Teams call, I put the headphones down, I go get a drink of water, go take yep. a dog out. 
Um, how do you maintain that momentum? So a lot of stuff on maintaining that momentum, how you get that conversation into some sort of action. Right. And, and follow up. Okay. Yeah. That's, that sounds really practical. So you are offering that as, as a program, which is cool. Um, how do you, okay. How do you kind of continue with that momentum and getting buy-in, especially when you're talking, um, you know, specifically about getting buy-in for your programs? Cause you know, you're now everything's virtual. So that's probably a little bit, um, a little bit easier to convince people about your virtual programs, but what are some of your strategies for getting buy-in for your programs? And I know that you're uh, an instructional designer, right? So you've got that perspective as well. You can probably speak to the behavior change that's happening with your skill practice. And, um, but yeah, what are those levers that you use to get buy-in for your programming? Yeah, so I think it starts um, coming across with some sort of credibility, relatability um, that, you know, I've worked in this space before. I've worked with these clients, um, something that is going to open the door for them to realize, OK, this is someone that we are going to actually consider. Um, and then through that other process, um, through the sales process, when you're sort of understanding what actually their interests are, um, too often sellers are responding to someone's position. Um, I need a hundred thousand pounds of coal by tomorrow, whatever it may be. Okay. That's what you need. Um, you need it at, at the price or do you need it by tomorrow? What's really the interest? What's really driving that? What are you going to use it for? Um, once you ask those conversations and, and fully understand their interests, um, then you can tie the value to your product into, okay, you said you need it by tomorrow. If you're going to need it by tomorrow, let's work backwards. We need to have a contract by this date and that date, um, whatever it may be. So, um, the, the real focus is getting past the position, fully understanding their interests, and then working with them to create the solution on how you're going to deliver it. Okay, I'm going to need X from you while I'm doing Y. Let's reconvene on Tuesday the 13th, whatever it may be. But, but you really need to sort of walk them through that process, get them to agree to it, um, and then always ask something in return from them. Um, so it's not that you're just doing everything for them. Say, okay, I'm going to need you to get this information to me by X, Y, Z. Um, put some onus on them, make sure they're invested in the rest of the process. Um, that typically sees you be able to maintain the, the deal on the tracks and, and achieve that ultimate goal. Cool. All right. Yeah, no, that's really useful. And I know we have a mixed audience here of entrepreneurs and um, employees. So I think all of us who are entrepreneurs have an interest in how can we you know, improve the way that we're getting buy-in for our programs, um, how we can make our programs, how we can demonstrate that there's going to be behavior change and results coming from our program. Because ultimately, that's important, right? We want to get results for our learners. And I feel like you probably do a lot of research on this and have a lot of data. So how do you um, find the behavior change or how do you measure the behavior change from your learners? And um do you have some sort of mechanism for initial benchmark and evaluation or, or how, how are you measuring that? Because I imagine that's an important part of what you do. So a very, very important part um, in, in the sales space, it's a very difficult metric to measure um, from the standpoint of, hey, you do a training in September um, and then they have their end of the year boost. A lot of people are signing contracts at the end and go up and you can be like, oh, guys, look at the end of the year. Um, you did more month over month, you did more year over year, you did more. 
Um, and as a trainer um, and someone that works externally as a vendor, it is difficult because you can't do the tracking yourself. You need to put the onus on the actual organization to measure the KPIs. So mm-hmm. um, you need to get that buy-in upfront and early and let them know that there's going to be a lift, that there's going to be some sort of um, additional work on their end. Um, because I don't think that's often made clear. I think that they expect you to then be able to provide them with the ROI um, and say, okay, X, Y, and Z, you did the training. This is the end results. And, and that's unfortunately, you don't always have the access to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so understanding there's a significant lift up front um, and that a lot of the onus is going to end on the business unit that you're working with to do the actual tracking. Um, that, that, that's sort of the, the first piece of advice I can give as far as the, the practical application of it. Um, as far as benchmarking goes, um, a lot of times we will do an initial assessment, mm-hmm. um, either in negotiation or influencing and sort of understanding what your tendencies are, things that you um, are doing well or not doing well. Um, and then a lot of times we'd like to finish up with either a similar assessment or um, the best way we can do it is actually by role play. Um, mm-hmm. So we have a scenario that people go through ahead of a program. Um, they, they complete it. We do the program and have them run through that same role play. Um, or oftentimes we'll, we'll create a secondary role play and have them go through so that they can actually visually see it. Um, okay, I was more confident. I didn't bring up price first time. I allowed the client to bring up price. They made an offer. I didn't immediately accept the offer. Um, I took some time to discuss it and came back with a counter offer. I avoided ranges. There, there's little things like that um, that aren't as clear cut as actual metrics are. Um, but that's what we can, that's what we can track and we can measure and show, um, as far as behavior change. Right. Um, you can, you can see those observable behaviors and, and track those. And I feel like, um, well, I know this from other conversations, but it's, um, it's great from an employer perspective to be able to just see that confidence level increase and to be able to see the behaviors that are, you know, changing in, in the workplace. So that's always very encouraging when you've built um, the mechanisms into your program so that you can tell, but also that the employer is able to see um, those differences. And right now, I'm, you know, I'm thinking like from a managerial perspective, you know, if you manage a team, it's a little harder to observe how things are going <laughs> with people working remotely. So it, it will be interesting to see um, what research comes out uh, with regards to observable behaviors at work. Do you have any insight into this or is this just um, a rambling train of thought that I've had in the moment? Yeah, so no, uh, unfortunately, um, yes, we do, but it's not based solely on data. A lot of people mm-hmm. want the data. You can go into Salesforce, you can see activity, CRMs, um, things of that nature. Um, but we've actually put in place was a manager's field guide, which is a coaching guide for managers. Um, because a lot of times the direct reports or individual contributors will go through a training. Um, they'll go back to a one-on-one with their manager. The manager will be like, oh, well, how'd that meeting go last week? They detail the meeting. And then they say, okay, um, I want you to do this, this, and that. And it doesn't relate to anything or any of the language or tools that were discussed in the training. Right. Um, so following a training, we take the managers aside. We have a quick little session with them. Hey, these are sort of the key bullets we went over. And this is a coaching field guide. This become, allows you to become a resource and continue to coach on the actual skills and tools that were discussed in the training. Um, they get excited because they can actually make an impact. And so what they do is um, coaching and sort of uh, is typically learner driven. So the learner will fill out something from a forward thinking event. So they have a meeting with a client in two weeks. Um, they fill out sort of, hey, these are my goals. This is the objective. This is the background. They meet with the actual manager 
and they'll role play, they'll discuss, they'll, they'll collaborate. And that allows the manager to sort of both understand what the direct reporter or seller is thinking about, um, but also allows them to make an impact, actually change their behavior, change the result of that meeting. If I ask, hey, how'd that meeting go last week? The manager is really just looking for feedback. But a proactive conversation about an upcoming meeting, um, the manager gets to learn and understand how the actual direct report is preparing, the questions they've got to ask, and the manager has the opportunity to make an impact on the outcome of that meeting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And having that managerial support and on-the-job support after the fact is part of what makes the training stick and makes it continue to be reinforced. So, um, yeah, thank you for all these strategies. Um, let's just close with if there was something that you could tell yourself, you know, a number of years ago, or if you could say, say to somebody who's maybe a bit more junior as an instructional designer, this is something that you should really include to change behavior for your learners. What might that be? What might that activity be or that mechanism be to help see behavior change? So two things. One is I'm, I'm very big on experiential learning, um, situation-based learning. Those are sort of my two sort of niches in instructional design. But the other is um, sort of utilizing different modalities to engage, um, not just classroom, not just live, but some asynchronous, some self-study, some self-reflection. Um, there are so many different tools out there, um, and there are so many different ways in which a learner um, best digests information and can best relate to information. Um, and, and I think that that often gets missed. And people think, oh, live in person is the best, um, but maybe do a, a self-reflection afterwards. Maybe do a, a email reinforcement campaign just to stay top of mind. Um, there's so many other ways in which you can engage with someone. And I think uh, before I was like, okay, I'm going to be really good at Camtasia and articulate and whatever it may be storyline. I'm just going to make these incredible trainings and that's going to be good enough. And unfortunately, that typically isn't the case. Um, you need to fully understand your audience, what they engage with and interact with best, but also be prepared to offer um, learning points, learning activities in, in different mediums. I think that's great advice. Um, thank you for that. It's been great talking with uh, talking with you, Josh. I think you have a really interesting um, job, and you are working with some critical skills that you're you know that you're offering as part of your training packages. And I hope this isn't the last time we speak. And if people want to learn more um, or you know to find out how they might be able to interact with your trainings, um, I'm going to make sure to include the website in the show notes and you can find Josh on LinkedIn. So please do that. And again, thanks Josh for being here. It's been really valuable and very useful to get some insights from you. No, thank you so much. It's been great. And I would say the one thing about the L&D ID community on LinkedIn, it's very supportive. Um, the sales community on LinkedIn is very, um, uh, everyone's sort of self-serving sort of, hey, look what I can do for you, look what I can do for you. Um, but the, the community um, in the L&D space is definitely collaborative. How can I help? This is what I've learned. And that's been a, a great sort of change of pace for me. And I know that's sort of where we met. And I encourage others to sort of engage with the L&D communities on LinkedIn and, and with me as well. Absolutely. And our mission is to create our greatest work, um, create something that learners are going to see really great results from. So yeah, it's awesome to be able to lift each other up and support and continue to be curious with what's available and what's up and coming because that's how we can um, make our, our best stuff. So absolutely. Curiosity is one of my words for 2021. So Amazing. that's going to drive a lot what I do. <laughs> Good for you. Well, congratulations again on your um, certificate, on your master's, I should say. And um, 
Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you were able to pull something really useful out of this episode. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please contact us if you'd like to learn more about anything that we've discussed or if you need help creating your next learning experience. We've got lots of great ways to work together and I would love to have a conversation to see if it might be the right fit. Also consider leaving us a review and definitely subscribe so you don't miss out on any interesting topics that could really help you in your journey.